My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? So the first Avengers lines up with the sun card, which is the sun pillar. The second Avengers lines up with the moon card, which is the age of Ultron. And I can substantiate some consistency to find the truth of this. Ultron was a silver machine, a robot. And the atomic number or the atomic symbol for silver is AG. And so... The AG of Ultron is indicating that silver correspondence and tells us that we are to look to the moon card for its significance in the tarot. And then when you line that up with the zodiac, you will get the symbol for Pisces, the world card. There is a common theme, and that is the four animals in the corners. And those four animals are in the top. It's generally an eagle and an angel. Right. And down below, there's a bull and a lion. Those four characters in the four corners as the four royal stars. And those four royal stars, let's see if I can get this right. So the lion is Leo and the royal star in the constellation Leo is Regulus. Mm, right. The Yep, the bull is Taurus, and its royal star is Aldebaran. The the eagle it corresponds to Aquarius. Its royal star is Fomalhaut. And over in with the angel, the corresponding star, the royal star in that constellation is Antares. The four royal stars have actually shifted out of their original locations. And they each shifted much like the clock rotates. They all went clockwise and have crossed over into the constellation next to them. All four of them. And so the final star to move into the next house is uh, was Regulus. And Regulus was, think of this as the breaking of the seal. And so in the previous age, those four royal stars were all in fixed signs. They were in, when I lay my zodiac out, I put it in a certain way 
so that the fixed signs are literally in the four corners of my of my dry erase board. Well, they have shifted clockwise, and now all four royal stars are in a mutable a in a mutable sign. And this is incredibly significant, and it makes uh, a lot of sense out of what we have been dealing with in the world. Think about mutable. Think about sacrificing your breath, your air, your wind, because we're stepping into a new age of Aquarius, which is an air sign. Wow. And so everybody is sacrificing their breath collectively. Wow. And... And so, and we've been made mute by the fact that you can't hear each other speak. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 102 of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mark Palmer. And on today's episode, we spoke with a man who goes by the name Slick Dissident. We got into some very, very interesting stuff today. We, we broke down the Avengers movies and how they correspond with the 22 major arcana cards of a tarot deck. Needless to say, there were so many fascinating tangents, so many different twists and turns to this conversation. We covered a lot of bases and naturally... Since this gentleman was introduced to me by Chance Garten, host of the Interverse podcast, this podcast was abounding with synchros because, as you know, Chance and I are synchro gurus, according to you, the listeners. So thank you and enjoy this conversation with another fellow synchro guru, mystic, slick dissident. Be sure to subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC. You can get bonus content there or on rockfin.com. And every episode is streamed live on Telegram. You can go on our Telegram in the episode description, sign up for the chats, sign up for the channels. All you have to do is click the link and you're in. Join, you become a member. It's that simple. If you don't have Telegram already, download it. And when I go live, I'll send a message out to the whole channel. People can listen in on the podcast while it's happening. And if you have any questions that come up, you can ask me or the guest any questions that come to mind live, and we will answer them at the end of each episode. So look forward to that. As this starts happening more and more, I expect to get more questions and maybe we can make a nice segment of it towards the end of the conversation. Uh, that's not the case for this one. Uh, so join on Telegram, Patreon, or Rockfin and support us with a one-time donation. Support us with a monthly donation. It's up to you. This is a value for value podcast and I really could use the help. I just bought a new laptop so that I can do more, stream more, and all the things, et cetera, et cetera. So follow us in all the places. Let's go, people. We're past the big 100 and on to 1,000 more.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mark Palmer. And on today's show... Putting in progress. Oh, there's the Zoom robot. On today's show, we're talking to a man who I've become familiar with through a new friend of mine, someone that you remember from a recent episode of this podcast, Chance Garten. He said to me, hey, dude, you got to get in touch with my man, Slick Dissident. And I found out he goes by Gabriel. And not only does he have some sick YouTube content, but he's also in the pod with the Weaving Spiders. So he's one of us. He's a synchro guy. Gabe, <laughs> tell me more about yourself, bro. This is our, our introduction. Thank you so much for uh, linking me in, man. This is great. So I just kind of got up off my ass, you know, in the when the lockdown started and decided to kind of step into the public, you know, I have been very interested in the sovereignty, you know, information, and I have a real good sense that, you know, we've kind of poked the bear with all the enlightenment and the insight from, you know, the sovereignty research. Mm. And, and so I just didn't want to be, I wanted to find a way to be proactive. Right. And so I just started putting my insights into the public purview with my little YouTube channel. And I'm basically just a caveman with a dry erase board, putting, putting some of my thoughts into, you know, logical context and sharing them with the world. Mm -hmm. And I'm very new. I've only been at it for maybe four months now. And it's interesting. My first, my first month, I put it out almost. I think 40 short videos and it was in that time that I realized I didn't have a lot to say <laughs> and, you know, started making some friends in the comment section and reaching out and just building a community. You know, I don't know if you're aware of a fellow by the, who goes by the handle snake Jones. He was, he was just kind of a familiar face in the chat and he and I were, you know, in uh, watching a lot of the same individuals. But uh, Snake and I, we ended up linking up. He, you know, told me where he lived and I pulled up at his house and he let me stay the night out there. and he's got a farm in Missouri. And so he was my foot in the door with the Weaving Spiders fellas. And he goes, oh, he's been on their show quite a few times. And the next thing I know, I'm getting invited into the circle with the Weaving Spiders. And now here I am on the scene and I'm loving it, man. I've found my family. Thank you, man. Yeah, that's the that's the beauty I'm finding of being open about who you are and honest about who you are. And I think when you create a podcast, that's pretty much a choice a lot of us truth community people make, I think, is to be honest about ourselves. You know, some people go by, you know, aliases to protect their families and whatnot. Not me. because my family thinks I'm crazy. They're not associated with any of this stuff. But, you know, that that's kind of like my experience too, is as soon as you get involved, more people want to do shows with you. You, you begin to meet people who, wow. Okay. Now it's crowdsourcing these things that at first you would go and tell your family or your friends about, and they'd be like, what are you wasting your time with this stuff? You know? So it's such a relief to, to make those connections and, and yeah. That's awesome. For for people who don't know, you guys get into a lot of synchro mysticism at the weaving weaving spiders web. And like you said, you just got introduced to that. But I'm sure you've noticed 
synchronicity in your own life? Was there a synchronistic component to getting into this stuff in the first place? You mentioned sovereignty. Obviously, you know, that's a no brainer. Everybody wants to kind of not be pushed around by a tyrannical government. Most people don't realize that's what's happening, but you woke up to that. Was there some synchronicity going on there? Well, yes. I, you know, one thing that happened to me, I had to go into court and face the black robe personally. And I was, I had a very kind of, I would say a dark experience with it. And I realized, you know, how callous and mechanical the machine is in, in retrospect, you know, and I have a lot of regrets about that. You know, I wish to God I could go back and whisper in my own ear, you know, and give myself the magical words at the time, but it was very scarring and very enlightening, you know, and those, sometimes those worst moments in your life are the best thing that happens to you, uh, when you find the silver lining. Mm. And so I definitely, you know, I think that was it. That was what sent me into researching law and the difference between what's lawful and what's legal and, you know, the power with the word, you know, in realizing that, you know, word magic is, it was my gateway into understanding mysticism mm. and, you know, abracadabra through our words we create. Right. Right. And, uh, and that's very empowering. To find the, you know, the essence of, of what we've been gifted with. And, and it's just something that I like to share. You know, a lot of people get into dark space and it's just uh, really powerful to remind them that we can, you know, the word and what we speak, it, it can set you free or it can build your own prison. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is a great, great point to make, man. I, I too have had my experiences with the law that have shown me that very similar things. You know, I remember getting a speeding ticket and a friend of mine who was very well and advanced at, you know, knowing all this stuff. I was only 17, 18, getting into this stuff for the first time. And he broke down admiralty law to me and basically told me like, Hey, you know, you choose to identify with that name on your social security number. That's not you. And we basically got myself out of a speeding ticket by, you know, claiming that, you know, so-and-so is not who I am. And I'm, you know, recognize myself as a sovereign citizen of these United States, you know, uh, under the laws set by God and not the laws set by these, you know, naval empire. So I, I had that, you know, experience and I've talked to people like my Maria triple seven. I actually mentioned this to her on her, her appearance on this show all the way back episode eight. And she's a lawyer in her you know real life. And, and she mentioned that, you know, oh, that's all baloney. Like, you know, so it's interesting. And I, and I've talked to other lawyers who've said similar things. It's interesting. It seems like they're either just not educated about this side of it, or they're, you know, straying away from it for their own sake. But yeah, I, I too have had that kind of wake up moment and even, you know, how they, they, like you point out, they use the words within the court setting to create consent where there isn't consent, you know, like through the confusion of like, a, just wanting to get the heck out of that building 
B being sort of forced into this like rigidness and like these rules that you, you haven't been really informed on what the rules are, but you have to follow them. Right. So it's definitely, and I was, you know, when I had my day in court, I was definitely, you know, it was not for that speeding ticket. It was for a different sort of trespassing thing that I had gotten into a couple years later. And, you know, it was very interesting that, you know, I, as a white man had a very different experience than the people around me in the court, but it was also, it kind of seemed like, well, I was the only one who was kind of just keeping my mouth shut, keeping my head down and following orders. Whereas a lot of the other people, and they weren't all one, you know, group, it was a whole mix of different people and white people too, not following the kind of court proceedings. And they were just hurting themselves in the long run by acting out and not kind of doing what I did. But in a way, I mean, how can you, what do you expect? I mean, you're put in this weird setting, you know, you're just trying to live your life. <laughs> Probably most people who get into court have enough issues going on in their life. Hence why they're, you know, getting into the, you know, flow of, of getting arrested and all that. You know, it seems like a, a never ending cycle is the point I'm trying to make. And there's no emphasis on education. It's, it's more or less keeping people in ignorance. And you see it the most with impoverished communities where there's a lack of understanding uh, of what they're actually being put through. And it's a very, you know, manipulative system that's taking advantage of these people's not, you know, lack of knowledge. So it's awesome to, to hear that you didn't get caught up into that system, much like I avoided getting caught up into that system. And and actually in reverse gained an overstanding of environment that is the court system. And like you alluded to, man, it, it's definitely, you know, not, it's not, you know, as, as, as institutionalized as they've made us think it is, it's a very new thing, this whole court system and, and the word magic and all that, the admiral, admiralty law, it's not, uh, and we just had actually Matt Belair on the podcast who mentioned some of this too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very yep. interesting. Yeah. There's a, there's a term that I've learned pretty recently. It's a German word. I love German words. They can pack so much information in, into a, into a single phrase, but it's been Kronverlust, which is, I think D-E-N-K-R-U-M-V-E-R-L-U-S-T. Mm. And the literal translation of it is loss of thinking space and loss of thinking space is really something to ponder. You know, when you're in the courtroom, you're adrenalized, you're, you're terrified. You got, you're on the fly. The moment, every moment counts, every word out of your mouth, shall and will can and will be held against you. You know, things like that. Right. There's a lot of, I mean, when you think about it, a contract you need to requires clarity of judgment, you know, no coercion whatsoever, but you're terrified in those moments, you know, nobody goes in there. Well, very few people go in there, you know, comfortable when they're, you know, doing their own thing. But for a lawyer, it's just a day at the office. So for them, of course, they don't have that adrenalized reaction to it. But another thing about Denkronverb, it doesn't just mean loss of thinking space. It is also it pertains to conflating the symbol with its subject. And this is where I've heard the recommendation from certain 
researchers, they'll say, if the officer is holding your driver's license and they say, is this you? The answer is no, I am me. Mm. <laughs> that is a graven image. Right. You know? Right. And, and that's where that, that's where that dividing line is, you know? And if you read the back of many social security cards, it will say, this is the property of the state. And then the next line is, if you find this, please return it to the state. And so right there, the fact of the matter is that information doesn't belong to you. It is not you. And so Dinkonver used is when you make the mistake of associating with that object. Right. Right. And, and that's, so there, that's you know, something that I've heard referred to, you know, as like, uh, you can maybe extrapolate it to when people say, oh, well, they do these false flags and they kind of hint at it to relieve them of their karma. It's like, I think that's the same function there where like you become responsible for your sort of captivity that then they put on you by throwing you in jail or fining you or whatever. You're responsible for those consequences. Uh, and it's as simple as just recognizing that, no, this is a construct that you are trying to loop me into in order right. to benefit you at my behest. Right. So, I mean, yep. that being said, it is kind of like a, a baffling thing considering at least for me, how rare it would be to be in a situation like that. You know, it, it does seem like in that moment, you know, it's easy for us to say now here on the, on the podcast, like, yeah, you, all you have to do is say like, just, you know, no, that's not me officer. How many times is the officer going to respect the fact that you said that? I mean, that seems like I, you know, I, unfortunately that seems to be the case overwhelmingly is like the officer is just going to, you know, treat you like you're being a smart ass and force you into the, the sort of formula that he's been accustomed to. You did this. So I do this. And then you do this. So I do this. And as soon as you stray from that, you're resisting arrest, right? So, so I don't know how practical this is unless maybe you're in a state where you have like, you know, more rights, but in where I'm at and in some cities in Connecticut, it could, you could feel pretty, you know, out of place and overwhelmed and, and not maybe those aren't the right words that I'm thinking of more like out, outgunned, you know, like you get put in a position where all of a sudden now there's six or seven cops, you know, coming at you and the pressure's on. So most people just submit to authority. I think that's what they're really trying to do. And it's probably because legally they know they are not, um, in the right. So they have to put all of this coercion into the equation in order to get that benefit towards the state that, you know, they legally don't even have the right to. And, uh, and you know, I, myself, I remember getting pulled over one time, this is back when we still used iPods for music, right? So, you know, we didn't have music on phones. So I would, I would plug my iPod into my car stereo and I was changing the song on my iPod. And I get pulled over for using my cell phone, you know, while driving. Uh -huh. And I'm like, officer, I'm not using a cell phone. I'm clicking fast forward. Like literally I'm just skipping a song. It doesn't take any attention away from the road. I'm, I'm totally comprehensive. I can totally handle the, the, the driving the vehicle, even if I just skip this song, but you know, that didn't matter. I had six cop cars like lined up behind him 
because they found these stones in my pocket, right? And when I say stones, I mean like crystals, like, like, you know, like what we would call crystals. But when a cop hears the word crystal, he doesn't think minerals or gems. He thinks drugs. So I'm like, you know, I'm getting searched because they saw my car smelled like weed and they find this bag of, of stones in my pocket. And they're like, what is that? And I'm like, it's rocks. And then their, their eyes light up. Like, I'm, I mean, you know, crack rocks. And I'm like, no, 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 no. They're actual like pebbles, man. Like gems, like, you know, and then they pour my, my precious little crystals out onto the, the back, you know, the trunk of my car and they fall all over the place. And they're like, oh, what are you, some kind of hipster? And I'm like, like, fuck you guys, man. Like you just drop my crystals on the side of the highway thinking they're drugs, you know, they're fucking stones. So, you know, I don't want to talk about this stuff without making it clear to the audience. Like I've had pretty like shitty interactions with the cops too. Like I haven't gotten away scotch-free. That occasion they did let me go because my car only smelled like weed. I didn't have weed on me, luckily. But yeah, man, I wish I had the, uh, you know, foresight to have an equal relationship there. Because I think cops are good people in some towns. And I think in my town, the majority of them are good dudes. They're not trying to hurt anybody or, or cause any problems or they're not outwardly, you know, prejudiced. But, you know, in that case, I probably could have, you know, presented myself as a sovereign citizen instead of being you know someone who the state can just pick up and empty my pockets out on the side of the road like they're holding me upside down by my ankles you know <laughs> crazy man but i always like to you know there's that old saying about with great responsibility or with great power comes great responsibility mm. and one thing and i think you know officers could benefit from considering is that with great power comes great responsibility and a need for more humility. Right. No, no. And we need, we've just got a whole, an overload, an imbalance of bad cops. Mm. And the world really needs some good cop. You know, every once in a while, I think to myself, I'd be a great police officer. The problem is none of the other officers would like me at all. <laughs> they, would, they would hate me because... I'd be policing the police, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I feel like that's kind of why my fellow farmer's market people stopped liking me when I was working at the farmer's market. I was like too hippie for the rest of the farmer's market hippies because when COVID rolled around and I refused to wear a mask, none of them took my side. They were all, you know, oh yeah, we were hippies a week ago, but now we're wearing masks and it was very, very unsettling. But so, so obviously this, you know, pandemic, as I've been calling it, has caused a lot of flipping upside down. You got into creating content and, and expressing yourself with more confidence because, you know, I think you and I are probably both in touch with this same force that's waking a lot of us up and it doesn't wake us up in the same way. It's not like a, a sort of plastic thing that only happens one way. It happens with harmony and it resonates in its own way with you, you know, it's going to harmonize with you. As soon as you open up your mind to the truth, that relationship starts to form and you bring your own reflected, uh, reflection of the truth into the equation. So 
sovereignty was a big theme for you there, Gabriel, but were there any other things that came up? I noticed the uh, tarot is mentioned in your, your, uh, the questions I asked you there at the beginning. I've been reading in through the tarot for a couple of years now. The first deck I got was the uh, Thoth deck which I'm sure I'll take some flack from that from a certain portion of the audience, but that is the Aleister Crowley deck. And, and it was very interesting, like some of the connections there. But recently I just got this new, this new deck called the uh, Rota Mundi Tarot deck. And it's very fascinating because it breaks down some of the Rosicrucian symbolism within the traditional tarot. But you have some connections between the tarot and superheroes as it as it was right yes that is that was kind of what got me off my seat and i had to just share it with the world because nobody else was seeing it and so i figured you know i've got something original you know as my buddy snake jones says he's like you know you brought something new into the world and i just love that he said that it gives me goosebumps it's so, so flattering but essentially i was you know when i was a kid my i have an aunt who's an accomplished uh, wiccan priestess and she uh, she's a real soldier in and of her own right you know she's she's something special and she was she's been at it for most of my life she's incredibly well read very insightful and very how we just say poignant she 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 cuts to the chase <laughs> she does not fuck her she doesn't bullshit but she had a bookshop when i was like 12 or 14 maybe 15 but it had you know a lot of alternative healing and alternative spirituality and crystals like a whole catalog of crystals and books upon books and all you know yeah, yeah. and so i at a very young age i was tuning into uh, spiritual potential of, of, of this experience we're having. And uh, so I've been very familiar with, you know, I actually was in massage therapy, I went to massage school. And so, and I'm also a lifelong martial artist. And, and so understanding, you know, the unseen world and, you know, how to heal how to be intuitive in, you know, these high, higher levels of awareness has been a, a part of my way of life for a very long time. But I honestly um, did not get into tarot until, until only recently. So I'm still relatively a novice uh, to the tarot system. In fact, I'm, I would confess that I know the major arcana incredibly well, and the minor arcana is still a frontier I've not broken into. And that is because of this revelation I had with the fact that the 22 Avengers movies have a one-to-one -one perfect correlation to the 22 cards of the major arcana. And that was the project that got me off my ass and started doing some production. And I got, I got to confess, like, my early works were really clunky. And, you know, I literally am a caveman trying to make this, you know, this phone thing convey the information from my head onto a dry erase board. And I like, I, I'm like lifting up my laptop and showing images of, from my screen and they're all grainy and, you know, kind of hazy. And it's really, it's really choppy stuff. So the good news is I actually have done a more concise presentation more recently. And I started getting into some production editing and 
you know, making it much more presentable. So I'm learning as I go for sure. And it's kind of fun because people are learning with me, you know? Yeah. But, but I am quite convinced that I've found this, this decoder ring and it's a perfect one-to-one matchup with every uh, episode of the Avengers movies locks it into place with the major arcana. Mm. And, and I have a, a theory that the major arcana is, you know, they are, they are like the elite, like the royal families. You know, they are the, the, the higher, the beings on a higher plane. They, you know, they're the, the, not the ones who are not numbered mm. in the, the minor arcana of which there are more cards that those are the numbered people. Right. And if, if, and if you look at the depictions of them, they're laboring, they're toiling, they're struggling and suffering. They're having a harder time. And so, yeah, essentially I've kind of put every one of the major arcana cards into a perfect correspondence with all of the Avengers movies. And I did so in kind of a, what I think is maybe a creative and really fun way to enhance the learning experience. And that is that I arranged the entire major arcana onto the Zodiac. Mm. It, that gives you that sequential progression, right? Zero through 21. And then the, that, you know, that's why they're called arc types. Is because they are, you know, they are corresponding to these constellations, right. to the stories of the sky clunk and the heavens. Mm. And now, so, now I'm super stoked to get into this because, like I mentioned, this tarot card deck that I got it talks about Rosicrucians, but it also kind of makes the connection between the major arcana and the uh, Kabbalah and the different portions of the Tetragrammaton. So now that I hear you're connecting it to the Zodiac, I'm like, boom, boom, boom. There are so many layers to this. I'm wondering, you know, maybe we can get through a couple of the major arcana cards, if you wouldn't mind, like we can touch on a couple of them and, and see where it goes. Yeah. Cause I could just draw them randomly from my hand here and see what we get. I think that might be a fun way to do it. That would be real fun. All right. I gotta, I'm going to put, I'm going to put out a Ross Ben quote here. Hit it. Uh, Ross Ben, I don't know where he got it from, but I'm giving it to him. He gets all the credit. Consistency is the hallmark of truth. Mm. And so when you find these correspondences and correlations and these, these archetypes have this harmonic perfection, you're looking at truth. Right. And, that, and that's what we're here to find. And there are people who use these systems in a, in a powerful way. Mm. And, and once you, and so what we're putting on here is the, I call it the decoder glasses. <laughs> yeah. And, and so once you get this perspective, once you get the sky clock memorized, you can see it visually. And then when these archetypes flash into your life, your decoder glasses bring out the truth. Mm. All right. So we got the first card that I drew. All right. All right. It's from the, the, obviously from the major arcana, got to give a shout out mm -hmm. to the, the Rota Mundi tarot deck made by this guy named Daniel Loeb. Very cool dude. So we have the moon card. Ooh, that's great. This is great. <laughs> so the, the moon card is uh, card number 18 and 
So, so I can, you can also do this with the alphabet in a lot of interesting ways, but 18th letter is R. So you get some gematria comes into play a little bit here, uh, but 18th letter is R and one eight is, it correlates to one Oh eight, which is a very moon oriented number. If anybody knows about the, uh, one Oh eight and its correspondence to the moon. Also, 180 degrees is, is correspondence, it's reflectivity. It's that in, when you think about the moon, you have increasing and decreasing phases of the moon. And it's, uh, it's looking at itself. It's two faces in the different phases, and it's kind of got that reflective value. So in correspondence to the Avengers movies, the moon card... It lines up with Avengers 2. And that one was the Ultron. It was, so the first Avengers lines up with the Sun card, which is the Sun Pillar. The second Avengers lines up with the Moon card, which is the Age of Ultron. And I can substantiate some consistency to find the truth of this, Ultron was a silver machine, a robot. And in the atomic number or the atomic symbol for silver is AG. And so the AG of Ultron is indicating that still silver correspondence and tells us that we are to look to the moon card for its significance in the tarot. And then when you line that up with the Zodiac, you will get the symbol for Pisces. It lands the moon card, the 18th card will land in the sign of Pisces. Right on. See, I've got some. And I, yeah. I love this because I didn't, I, I only said the moon card and I was hoping uh -huh. that our info would correspond because this card deck Right on here, folks. It says Pisces. Boom. So my man Gabriel is right on it. <laughs> Not to say that this tarot card deck is completely accurate either, but it's like, you know, that's the consistency to the truth that we're looking for here. And I'll add to it and see maybe considering, you know, this is kind of the Kabbalistic interpretation of the moon card. Maybe there's some more that'll come to light for you since you've been looking through this stuff. So it says that the Hebrew letter for the moon card is Kof, K-O-F, uh, meaning the revolutions, and its intelligence is corporeal. It is the 29th path of the Tetragrammaton, the attribute is sleep. It connects to the 12 tribes of... Recording stopped. Oh, we got uh, insufficient disk space on the Zoom. No big deal. We're recording on audio. <laughs> I got to get some more... Got to get a better... What do they call it? Drive over here or something like that. So it connects to the 12... In the 12 tribes of Joseph, it connects to the... Or 12 tribes of Israel. It's the Joseph tribe that the moon card represents. Interesting. So... Very cool, man. Anything from that information that resonates with what you've looked at for the second movie of the Avengers? That is interesting. They also mentioned the element of it being water. I don't know. Maybe that would be more substantial. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, so think of the two fish circling around each other in that symbol of Pisces, but it definitely has that water, but it even, you know, they're in a, they're like two 
semicircles mm. and those movement be like the waxing and waning moon in a perpetual cycle but yeah that's interesting calm yeah yeah that's right man that's nailing it with that image in your tapestry behind you yeah but called that's good to know i bet i could get some mileage out of that we have some certain information in the floating through the air that people are very concerned about that has those that sounding name mm. oh <laughs> yeah yeah very interesting all right well let's hit another card from the deck bro let's see what we got yeah. here we got, well, the Fool card, which is the first card on the uh, Terra deck. Let's see what, what that yields. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. So a lot of people would think about Loki being the Fool card from Avengers, but Loki doesn't really have a, a movie in the series. He's just a random character. I know. I'm pretty sure because that is the beginning of the sequence of the Major Arcana, I've, of course, I've correlated it to Captain America 1, the very first Captain America. Very interesting that America would be the fool. <laughs> Bingo, bango, yes. <laughs> and he, so the fool card is not a numbered card. It has that symbol zero. Right. And is outside of the sequence of the flow, the mathematical flow, but his shield is a big fat zero. It's a double zero. Right. If you think about it. And it's F-O-O-L. And there's the two O's in the word fool. And if you look at his shield, it's two rings. It's like emanations. Mm. Uh, so the Captain America, he is, I got a, my dog's going to freak out right now. I think we got a visitor. So <laughs> Captain America is notorious for jumping into situations. Right. He is uh, very often, much like the fool card, is about to fall off the edge of a cliff. The fool card is carrying a little tote bag on the stick over his shoulder. Mm -hmm. So he always has his, well, his, his things, his tools, the fool's tools are right over his shoulder at all times. Well, he, uh, Captain America, is straps the shield onto his back. Right. Well, and is very often leaping in to hastily leaping into situations. And if you, if anybody comes and checks out my channel, I just did a, you know, a, a nice clean presentation on this, but I've done some, some captures, some image captures on, from the movie and put them right next to the image of the full card. And, and I use multiple decks. Like I don't stick to one particular tarot deck so that there can that consistency can bridge into the other systems and we can see how these, you know, these archetypes, it's, it's important to substantiate it for people who are coincidence theorists, mm. you know, you're looking, you are going to show that consistency. So they see that this is a science. One of my favorite, one of my favorite scenes is when in Captain America one, when he has been fooled into believing that he's living in the past and she shares, I think a baseball game being announced on his little radio set there. And he realizes, wait a second, I was at that baseball game. And right now they're telling me it's happening live in the real world. And so he has kind of, it's not even, a, it's almost like deja vu, but it's where he just realizes that he's basically in a simulation. 
and he starts asking dangerous questions and they send in the guards and then he breaks out of the way, he jumps through the wall and breaks out and walks into the real world. And in that scene, he starts walking through the streets of a major city, kind of looks like New York. And over his shoulder is an, on one shoulder is an image of a Corona bottle. And over his other shoulder is an image of a coronavirus. And on the, the bottom corner of this cutscene, there's a Phantom of the Opera white mask. Wow. So when you say there is a coronavirus over his shoulder, you mean like that sort of uh, symbol of a virus that we see like that sort of, I think they even call it a corona coronavirus cell because it looks like a crown, you know, with all sorts of things sticking out of it. That's what you're referring yeah. to, that shape. Yeah. And even yeah. Into the fool card has a dog next to sort of like biting on the, the fool card's foot, you know, the fool's foot. And Captain America has a pet dog in the series called Dodger. I don't know if he's featured in the movie, but, but in the comic books, he has a pet dog. He's one of the few superheroes that have a pet dog. Very interesting. I did not know that. Very nice. Consistency, man. Bring it on. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So, yeah. So, if you think about it, in that moment, he's looking around the city and he's experiencing revelation. It's all the truth is coming at him all at once. And simultaneously, in the background, we are experiencing a revelation. And right there, I mean, that screenshot is so, it's so significant. It's so, you know, for many people, you know, these things can be a bit of a tool to, for reality to dawn on other people if we keep bringing this information forward. And that's really what I hope to, hope to do is kind of put into people's minds the, you know, everybody says, oh, it's just a movie. These are just coincidences and that, that they're coming into reality and essentially what the lesson of this is is that it's all a play all the world is a stage and we are but actors upon it mm -hmm. you know and that is the revelation that i hope to wake a lot of people up to yeah and i love this topic because you know i don't know how much i've gotten into this on the show i just had a conversation with a friend, Bob Nickman, who has a podcast that is not about conspiracies at all. And he was like, Hey, I want you to tell me why you and so many people seem to be interested in these conspiracy theories. So I was kind of tasked with like breaking down conspiracy theories with him. And one of the things I mentioned was when I was a kid, I loved animals. I loved classifying animals and trying to like figure all of this stuff out. And I think that created this type of psychology in me where I like to put the world in one big picture. And, and when you find out these conspiracies exist, it's like, hold on, I got to re reframe this picture because this stuff doesn't fit in. And consistency is the key to the truth right there, like you pointed out. Yeah. And, and one thing that I probably left out was how big of an impact Marvel Comics had on me in that way. You know, I would, grew up in the age when like all the Marvel Comics had their own like television show that were, you know, on the TV, like late nineties, early two thousands. So that's where I became fascinated with superheroes. And as I got older, I started to wonder like, okay, you know, these guys, they didn't just make up all of these superheroes uh, out of thin air. 
these are based off of like really real things that are either in mythology or are in, you know, we'll say like psi abilities of human beings. So I got really fascinated in like, you know, that Stan Lee show, right? That show that was like all about superhuman abilities. And so all this was happening kind of opened my mind up to the superheroes being based on something more real than we're led to believe. And looking back on it now, in hindsight, it's like that was all occult. These guys who were writing these comic books, they were drawing on mythology, the occult. And it's just so fascinating now to see the connection between the, the Avengers movies and the tarot, especially given all of the predictive programming that we you know, know so well when you get into this podcasting community. People are always loving to break down movies and find the occult symbolism in it. And, you know, I'm not particularly geared towards that because I kind of took all that mainstream media stuff and, and, and like left it out of my life. But the comic books, the superheroes, like that will always kind of stick with me. So without, you know, going too far off on Mark's waxing poetic about nostalgia, you know, maybe we can hit another card here. What do you think? Right in. Yeah. Let me, let me close up a couple, just a couple of fun little points on that fool card. So the fool is about to go over the edge of a cliff, right? He's, he's leaping into this, the unknown. He's looking up and not watching his step. He's not being cautious. Right. Well, something I point out in my, in my work is how Captain America's shield is a flat earth model. And what happens if you go over the edge of the flat earth, you fall off the cliff. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it also kind of looks like a dome too. And they talk flat earthers talk about yep. the dome. Very interesting. Yep. Yeah. And I'm personally, I'm not a flat earther. I'm, sh I'm earth shaped agnostic. Welcome to the show. Uh -huh. That's, that's the, that's what I promote. Yeah. Earth shaped agnosticism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then it keeps a, uh, it keeps you, it keeps your perspective clear of bias. Yeah. You know, it's like you just always keep a blank slate ready for whatever the other person wants to bring to the conversation and you're ready to build on their worldview as well. Right, right. It should be, it should be, like you said, consistent. There's an all encompassing truth, but I kind of think we mm -hmm. all take different angles to, to figure it out and. If you're staring at the same truth from opposite angles, it might seem like you're opposed to that person. But when you take like a bird's eye view or a flat earth map view, you see that we're all pointed in the same direction, like a compass, you know? Yes. Yes. Real quick. There's a great, another German word is Creek. Mm. And that's like a 20 some letter word. It's a really long one, but it means worldview warfare. And it comes from not just the Germans, specifically, it comes from Nazi propaganda age. But a lot of people, you know, they, they think about that and they take it at the first, the first glance. It just means if you can control how people see the world, then you can control how they behave. And if you make sure that nobody sees the world in the same way, then people will never get along. They'll never come together, you know, and, and see common ground. But I want to take it, I want to take it even more literally. Worldview warfare, could it mean that there's a very good reason why we never get a real true image of the earth? If you were, if you were, let's say you were a dark uh, magician, 
if you had a real true image of the world, would it give you influence over the world? And so there might be a very mystical reason why there is no such thing as a true image of the earth from high enough to see everything at once. Right. Well, uh, I will bring, I will bring this up just because pa a, a very recent interview we had, Alex Sakaris kind of made this point because he's very much against flat earth. I don't want to say that much. He just likes the debate. And that's one of his talking points that we decided to talk about. And he mentioned that there is a satellite that gives actually live footage of the earth and it's owned by the Japanese. But I wonder maybe on a technological level, if, you know, we can't, we don't have the ability to live stream it. Like there's some kind of delay and that would contribute to the, you know, blocking of that effect. Cause I, I, I mean, I'm totally with you there. I think that's the whole idea of like a voodoo doll. Like you have this visualization tool and you can use it to, you know, conduct your will against what it is you're visualizing. And if you had a, you know, live satellite feed of the earth and like a group full of lizard people all meditating on some really bad thing to happen. I mean, geez, doesn't it sound like we're talking about a, a Avengers movie here? Like this is like a, a, a evil villains do. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I totally think that that's possible. And maybe that's why they don't give us access to actual footage of the earth, save for maybe this Japanese satellite, which I tried to Google it and it's not that easy to find the live footage. So. <laughs> it's interesting. The word, just a quick point, the word Japan has the word pan, mm. uh, which really meaning that's a whole rabbit hole in itself, but you know, that it means everything to, to, um, to see the whole, the whole panoramic. Ooh, wow. View. Of course. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, I'm following. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, pretty interesting. That comes from about where Marcus, Alan Marcus from the Weaving Spine. They go, they go download markets. Right on. Yeah. We definitely got to either have a swap cast with them sometime soon or, or get them on the show because that. They have been coming up. They've been weaving uh, a web through many different podcasts and, and here you are an ambassador for them. I love it. So let's weave our way through the, the tarot card, maybe like another one, just one more, one or two more. Cause we want to give people a reason to go check out your YouTube channel. Obviously you've done, you know, spent a lot of time at this. And like you said, you started off just putting it out there and you've refined your skills over time. I think that's what, you know, most of us can say for ourselves, my first 10 podcasts I probably wouldn't recommend people listen to. They were, they were all right, but you know, I definitely would recommend maybe the, the, the last 20 or so they, we've been hitting a, a stride here. So I, yeah, I respect that completely. I like that you you're transparent about that. So let's go. I'm going to stop looking at the cards and just pick a random one here and looking away, shuffling a bit and justice, the justice card comes up, which is cool for me because that is the Libra zodiac sign as well it has a connection to the the libra which i am bingo oh sweet way sweet nice so in my it's funny you, you're, you're giving me an opportunity to make an addendum to my presentation my most recent installment on this the tarot and avengers correspondence i think i made uh, a mistake a very honest mistake with my with 
the, my memory of this particular film. So it is Thor number two. Okay. That is in correspondence to the justice card. And I made some mistakes because I was referencing scenes from Thor number three in, in my uh, video. So I'm going to, my next video was going to be an addendum in a confession. <laughs> I made, I made some errors with that, but it was, it was kind of nice because I went back and rewatched Thor number two, just to freshen it up in my mind and secure, you know, my theory here and make sure I, I don't have to uh, rearrange everything I've ever said about, but I still do. I hold to the fact that Thor number two, which I believe is a dark world. Okay. And it's, the, it's the film where the dark elves who have been banished to under an underworld or an other realm, another well, reality. There is a convergence of uh, heavenly bodies, which are coming back into balance, mm. which is much like the scales of the justice card. They're coming, they're lining back up. The accounts are being, you could almost say it's like a jubilee. You know, there's a, the black and the red are, are coming back in alignment. And in that film, it starts off as Loki is being judged by Odin, his adopted father. And so the very introduction, they loved initiations, beginnings, mm. uh, walking, walking in the very first fruits. All of these things are the most important aspects of uh, occult ritual. You know, that's why like acronyms, you know, CIA, they, they, they only use the first letter. That's why the first letter of your name is capitalized. That's capped, having to do with the, the goats, sacrificial goats. But I'm not going to go too far into Capricorns. all Capricorns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the very introductive scene to that movie, Loki is on trial. And his father, Odin, is passing judgment on him. And so they are absolutely indicating by that first scene that this is the judgment card. Mm. And uh, Loki, Loki goes into the prison, and from there the, the story unfurls. But and it's kind of interesting, you know. Loki goes into prison, and he has to go through like a bit of a breakout, or he gets released by his brother, and that's in the heavenly realms. Well, down on Earth, well, the scientist Doctor Irving, or I, I forget his name. Uh, the doc, the scientist that goes crazy, he's running around naked, stonehenge. They put him in an insane asylum, so he's locked away, much like Loki, down here in the earthly realm. And the intern has to come and sign him out and release him from captivity. Right. So they have this, the heavenly plot is a reflection of the earthly plot mm. in a very interesting way. Uh, uh -huh. Just an observation. The observation I made, I watched that yesterday, so I'm, I'm fresh on that movie. Yeah. And people, people have probably heard me mention this book a bunch, but the secret history of the world by Mark Booth takes that exact approach that you just laid out where you see how the affairs of the physical world are directly related to the affairs of the gods in the heavenly realm. So, and even, you know, the underworld and that the spirits there. Right. So, and that book takes 
uh, a look at history from that lens of like, okay, this is what they said the gods were doing. This is what happened in history. And I think that book was really, if I could recommend it to all my listeners, it'd probably be the only book I really recommend because it it's, it's written from a really great perspective. And, and I don't think it, it preaches either. It kind of just gives you uh, history from another angle and you're left with, you know, <laughs> your rest of your life to figure it out yourself, which is what I've done, you know? And, and I think, you know, to, with, with more questions than answers. And I think a lot of people who are consistent, like you, you mentioned, Ross Ben points this out, are, are closer to the truth than, than the people who just kind of, I don't know, we'll save them for the Patreon portion of the show maybe but yeah brother i love this i mean you mentioned cap and capital and that connection to the capricorn so now i gotta hit you with you know what is the devil card obviously one of the you know maybe that and the hangman and the tower are like the top three wicked court cards that people kind of point to like oh the tarot's demonic like here's the tower card and it's connected to 9-11 and here's the devil card and it's connected to crowley like so you, you these three cards i think have have become like the most notorious so what are your thoughts on the devil card what what uh, movie does that connect to yeah so the devil card corresponds with the, the introduction of who i call Thanos Fauci. Thanos Fauci, okay. <laughs> you know, that's what they bring in with Thanos Fauci, the eugenist. By the way, just point this out, Fauci's mother's name was Eugenia. And Klaus Schwab's father's name was Eugen. So, you know, anybody who doesn't think that these people aren't born of the eugenics movement as a lot to learn. <laughs> right. Right. And Bill Gates. Put that the yeah. Bill Gates has so, those connections too. We'll just add him into the mix. I don't know if he's got maybe that Eugene is his middle name. He does look like a Bill Eugene Gates though, if you had to like guess his middle name. He's and, and that would make his initials beg and he's begged for a lot of money. So huh. Interesting. So Thanos. So, yeah, that is yep, that's where Thanos comes into the picture. And so I believe, I always get him a little flip-flopped. I think that is Infinity Wars, which is his first of the, of the two-part ending. Mm. And it is the devil card. It corresponds with Capricorn. And in that image, you have the devil kind of seated in like a, a hell realm, throne in hell. And he has two humans held captive. Change neck. <laughs> Yeah. One is a, one is a male, one is a female and they're usually naked and kind of their posture is defeated and shameful. And that trend does indicate, you know, at the end of that movie, Thanos, he snaps his finger and he divides uh, the world and yes. And so there is your division points. You're, you're splitting the 50, 50, you know, something to this pandemic has done is uh, divided households, you know, much like, you know, in the time of the civil war, brothers fighting brothers, you uh, have this partition, this, instead of the horizontal split, you have this vertical split within your own home. And, you know, now uh, so many people were locked away in, you know, 
people were put into uh, quarantine, locked in their houses. But the fact of the matter is, much like the devil card, where those two characters can remove the chains whenever they care to, they're oversized chains. All they need to do is step away. Well, so many people had the ability to just go outside and go do whatever the hell they wanted, and they were a prisoner of their own mind. Now, we happen to know that there are certain countries where that's not the fact. It's not the the, the case. Right. Uh, they're, they're, they're in a different situation. But So in that card, the devil is generally holding an implement in one hand. It's often like a, a flaming spoon. Sometimes it's like a torch. Right. Does look like a torch in this one. Okay, yeah. And he's kind of got it burning towards Adam, who looks like he's got like a tail almost, like there's like a fire yes. kind of coming from his ass. Same thing with yes. the, the woman, too. Yeah. So that implement is much like the glove mm -hmm. of of Thanos Fauci. And, and he's using it, It's uh, he's using it generally on, oftentimes on the male. I've seen the, the tail of the male figure sometimes is like on fire. Right. It's burning in to a large degree. I see that is circumcision mind control programming. Right. Um, and, and that's something that a lot of people don't think about when they think about like, you know, why are, why are men and women so much different? Right. And well, we also and I don't think. Go ahead. We can make the connection too. I'm sorry to cut you off to like the root chakra, right? And the tailbone, you know, and this idea that yes. like maybe we were more connected to the earth, a tail kind of reaching down from the spine to touch the earth. You know, that mm -hmm. that's how most animals maybe are connected to that earthly realm. We see a lot of like animals use their tail for very different things, but it's curious, you know, we're the only primate, so to speak, if we're going to use those terms without uh, a tail, the apes or without tails. And yeah, I mean, wow. Yeah, definitely interesting. Also, I, I will point out that the, the movie Infinity Wars in the description, they talk about how they have to collect all six infinity stones six being a you know obviously connected to the devil and a lot of different ideas and then he's he's going to use the artifacts to twist reality which is kind of like vision which this card that i'm holding in my hand talks about the meaning of the devil card having something to do with eyes and perception right which is funny because you pointed out how the chains are like are on their neck and very loose, like they can take the chains off and, and free themselves, but their vision, their eye is like leading them away. Maybe they are just like, you know, unwilling to remove themselves from that captivity. And then it also points how earth is the element associated with the devil card. And this movie is very much about the fate of the planet itself and, and how Thanos is going to destroy the earth. So it is absolutely like, you know, I, I love where you're going with this, man. I think it's it's fascinating. Did you see that there are 22 movies out and you're like, oh, that must be, or like, did this happen like before the, the series was completed? Cause I like, I, I'm sure they, you know, they're not going to stop making the movies. What are your thoughts on, on like, like the actual movie makers and, and are they using the, the symbolism in this way, you know, manipulating it in the writing room, so to speak, or is it just like a, you know, microcosm, macrocosm thing where it just bleeds through in that fractal way? That's a great question. Uh, 
Well, one point on what you mentioned about the six stones mm. arranged on his gauntlet, there's one big one on the back of his hand and then five for every knuckle. So that's a one and a five, mm. which it's the 15th card. And so all adding up to that six that you were mentioning. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so in regards to their, you know, their, like, you know, the drawing room and them planning this out. One thing that I, I really like, and I, I'm glad you're giving me a chance to bring it forward. My aunt, you know, the brilliant goddess priestess that she is, you know, she, she chastised me a little bit when I brought this forward to her and pointed it out just in a passing comment. I was not trying to convince her or, you know, make her feel like she was crazy or give her any impression that I might, I was just mentioning that, you know, the tarot is, is used in way more powerful, common ways than many people think. And she got a little edgy about it, which she loves to be. And uh, she said, you know, the tarot, that's first of all, she said, that's my religion, you know, don't mess with that. And she said, the tarot is between you and the cards. And I totally took that to heart. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking her words and I'm putting them on a banner and I'm sharing them with the world. So the tarot is a tool for self-discovery and every reading should be like a snowflake, much like we are individuals. We are unique, each one of us. And, and for Marvel to put one reading to influence everybody is a, it's a collectivism spell mm. and for people to give their consent to this, they are unwittingly being led into a single tarot reading for everybody to share collectively. And we're losing a bit of our autonomy by engaging in that. And so this, this is where some of my work is a bit paradoxical. Some might say hypocritical. You know, but I am paying a lot of attention to the details of the Avengers, which I love. I get, I really enjoy entertainment for entertainment, right. but I don't, I don't think it's safe for everybody to be giving their volition, which we have the word loosh, volution into this one reading to rule them all. Right. We're dealing with real high, powerful archetypal magics and we might be it might be spirit steering us into a herd mentality yeah. which is a, a dangerous thing but it's a good thing to be aware of well and we talked about this we've talked about this on the show ross ben mentions it in his book the top you know the force of maybe alchemical anathema right i think is what it's called and like sam mentions it a bunch on his show tinfoil hat how they invert things right and it seems like this tool of self-discovery that is extremely personal like you mentioned your your aunt has a very close connection to it and you through her i mean like you said that bookstore played a role in your discovering this stuff and and wrapping it into what you're doing now expressing your uh discernment and trying to, you know, unweave this web that's been woven, if I can use the, uh, the Alan Marcus and the gang's verbiage. But yeah, I think that to point it out the way you put it, I think in light of all the predictive programming stuff that people uh, talk about, I mean, I remember 
when I was young and impressionable, I would go to movies and I would walk away with very deep, profound thoughts about my own life, you know? And I think that happens to a lot of people in different ways. Maybe some people are a little number than others and aren't as impressionable as, as me. But if you're listening to this podcast, I guarantee you're not one of those people. If you listen to podcasts in general, I think that's an indication that you're not one of those people. But, you know, I think in general, when you go to a movie, it either consciously or subconsciously has an effect on you. So, you know, the point you're making that these tarot cards and the really egregore, if we could use that word, of mental energy, spiritual energy, and magical energy that's been associated with them to then use that symbolism through a manufactured story with these characters. I think, you know, it's, it's exactly what your, your aunt was kind of warning against. It's like, you, you should be like, Hey, don't tell me, tell the movie makers. Like, you know what I mean? Cause it, <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah. and you're just, you're just the messenger, you know, in that, in that sense, because they're really like taking something that should be a divination tool on a personal level and using it in an inverted way to create something in the real. Right. Whereas, you know, in my opinion, my humble opinion, when I have a tarot card reading, it's giving me insight on what's going on, some of the things in my life that maybe I'm not aware of, bringing those things to my awareness so then I can have a better decision as to what to do next, right? Whereas this is like an inversion. They're giving people a, you know, beginning, middle, and end plot that they're then going to play into their worldview script. And yeah, I mean, with that weapon i mean geez you could see how they're able to pull something off like you know what chance calls i love that he brought this verb into my life the cooties i mean the cooties is what's what's <laughs> yeah. yeah they're like really pushing the cooties hard and and i'm just like how are people falling for this and it's because you know with all due respect to the average person overwhelmed with all the things they're overwhelmed with when their only relief is manufactured mainstream programming made by these Hollywood wizards and witches. It's like, what, like, what do you, what do we expect to happen? This is a recipe for disaster and it's being, you know, crafted in the cauldrons of Hollywood. I mean, the name Hollywood re relating to the type of wood that druids would use to create their wands, bringing that back to the tarot card deck, the wands, that's one of the, the four suits of the tarot cards, which I hope you get into that next, man, because already I can see with the way you're breaking down these Avengers movies, you know, there's probably thousands more connections. I mean, there's 78 cards in an average tarot deck. So, I mean, it's really an exponential type of thing that I don't think has any limits anytime soon, you know, and to, yeah. to point out another really awesome dude who has done some similar work. I, I think you must be aware of him, but he wrote a book that's called Our Gods Wear Spandex. His name is Chris Knowles and he's, yeah, he, yeah. So I'm sure you're familiar with Chris Knowles because he's one of these really awesome synchro mystics who's de-occulting, if I can use Corey Daniels word, all of these different, you know, movies. And, and he wrote a whole book about how the superheroes of today's modern movies are, you know, these new gods that they're trying to, you know, build all these new archetypes through, you know, and give people the, 
the new idols to worship. And I think what you're doing, which is so brilliant and unique is, is connecting that to the script or the, you know, toolkit of the elite, the occult elite, the tarot deck. I mean, have you looked into the solar busca tarot, the like really interesting, like Italian tarot deck that was apparently like only used by certain royals from that part of the world? No, but I am interested. That's, uh, that's, so busca means to look, but it also means to hide. Mm. So, so it's kind of like the, it's a hidden sun. Right. And that's awesome that you say that because they're talking about Saturn worship and Saturnism. And, and I'm sure, you know, all the talk about how Saturn maybe potentially was the original sun here on planet earth it. until the sun that we know now know as the sun came in and had some sort of effect and created what is now Saturn. But wow, dude, I mean, let, I mean, <laughs> where could we go from here? Cause I think, <laughs> I think there's a lot, <laughs> I think there's a lot. Yes. Yes. So yeah, I, I am very interested in other tarot decks, especially obscure and, you know, elite tarot decks that may not be, you know, may have been protected for good reason. And, you know, one of, one of the members of the weaving spiders welcome, I call her high priestess, Rachel, and she has brought forward some profound revelations. It's so interesting how, you know, I could almost spend a whole day like listing all the people I want to give credit to, you know, so much of this is like, we're not, we're not standing on the shoulders of giants. We're so standing shoulder to shoulder with giants at this point, you know, and I mean, in, in the circle is, is, is glorious and it's just marvelous. But Rachel is, she, you know, she's somebody who needs a lot of credit for this. And also Dylan Sicoccio, you know, he did a show with Chance Garden. And with the universe, and they focused on, you'd be interested in this, on the Wheel of Fortune card and the meaning of that rotas that is written on that circle there. Mm. And that is the, that's the name of that deck that you have, right? Right. right. And I, I think you said you, you listened to my recent conversation with Mike, so then you must know how... I bought this, I think I mentioned this, I bought this keychain with the Wheel of Fortune debt card on it. And, you know, Tara and I were just kind of exploring Mystic, Connecticut, which is the name of a town, Mystic. And it's actually an indigenous word, which is really cool that there's that kind of overlay there because their culture is very mystical. But yeah, I didn't really put much thought into it other than like, hey, I don't have a keychain anymore. Mine broke. So maybe I should get this new one. And and embrace the wheel of fortune, you know, cause that's kind of where Tara and I are in the ever present now is like, we're, we're looking to make some really awesome transformations as far as like where we live and what we do to survive and thrive and, and strive in this really ever present now that I've been trying to surf in, I guess surfing is, is what I've been calling it. But yeah, that's so strange that the, the, the first tarot card deck that I went to go buy, I was really looking for the I Ching because Chance kind of inspired me to get the yeah. I Ching deck and I found this instead and was just drawn to it. I'm like, Rota Mundi, that sounds cool. So maybe I went off on a tangent, but is there more to that? The, the uh -huh. Wheel of Fortune card that you can get yeah. into? 
Please do. You know? So, so Dylan, he first brought it forward that on the wheel of fortune card and also on the world card, there is a common theme and that is the four animals in the corners. And those four animals are in the top. It's generally an eagle and an angel. Right. And down below, there's a bull and a lion. Mm-hmm. And Dylan has, amongst many other things, he is such a wealth of knowledge and information. He's written a couple books that we should all proliferating, but he, he has kind of decoded those four characters in the four corners as the four royal stars. And those four royal stars, let's see if I can get this right. So the lion is Leo and the royal star in the constellation Leo is Regulus. Mm, right. The, yep. The bull is Taurus and its royal star is Aldebaran. Wow. The, the eagle, it corresponds to Aquarius. Its royal star is Fowl Halt. And over in with the angel, the corresponding star, the royal star in that constellation is Antares. Wow. And so the, this was like a decoder rate that he gave to me. And I started researching on it in the levels and the depth of revelation on just the single card. It turned into, I think a four or five part series in my, on my YouTube channel. And it's a lot to get into and convey, and it's really complicated and, and profound. But what Rachel has discovered is that the four Royal stars have actually shifted out of their original locations and they each shift much like the clock rotates, they all went clockwise and have crossed over into the constellation next to them, all four of them. And so the final star to move into the next house is, uh, was Regulus and Regulus was, think of this as the breaking of the seal and so in the previous age, those four royal stars were all in fixed signs. They were in, the, when I laid my zodiac out, I put it in a certain way so that the fixed signs are literally in the four corners of my, of my dry reads port. Well, they have shifted clockwise and now all four royal stars are in a mutable, in a mutable sign. And this is incredibly significant and it makes uh, a lot of sense out of what we have been dealing with in the world. Think about mutable. Think about sacrificing your breath, your air, your wind, because we're stepping into a new age of Aquarius, which is an air sign. Wow. And so everybody is sacrificing their breath collectively. Wow. And, and so, and we've been made mute by the fact that you can't hear each other speak anymore and our the censorship and our freedom of speech is being taken away. So wow. the significance yeah. of, of, of the Royal star shifting into uh, four times mutable signs is it's making a lot of sense out of what is a crazy reality. And you mentioned earlier inversions that there's a lot of inverting going on and what up is down, down is up. 
that kind of thing, you know, what people are calling clown world, it makes a lot of sense when you realize we are, the royal stars are now in mutable signs. And so I did a big decode on this. It took me quite a while to like step-by-step kind of walk through the reasoning and the logic of it. But ultimately, Mark, it's really crazy. I'm not, I'm not pushing any Bible. I'm not pushing any ideologies, but what I uh, ultimately came to is I think I found the the four horsemen mm. in our in our days. Wow! So these four horsemen kind of crossing the sky is an indication that we're in the apocalypse or the great change. And yes. this is so interesting considering you know we mentioned him before. I do a show with him. You're familiar with that show. You listen to it, and that's what you mentioned to me at the beginning. But so you're familiar with Michael Wan and something that I know he's doing with his practice or at least he used to do of biomancy where he gives you a sort of reading of your astrological chart is he takes in consideration that shift where he calls it you know the side reel versus the tropical zodiac right so the side reel is what you've described where there's a shift that's occurred and i'm curious uh to know if those four stars maybe i'm missing something so those four stars are now in all new separate constellations or and like they're each in their own new constellation or they've all become this in one constellation like what can we can i can I visualize it a little deeper for myself and and everyone listening yeah it's the first one you said each one has shifted into their neighboring okay. the sky very interesting and so there are fixed stars and there are moving stars in that case then some stars seem to be not moving maybe at the same speed or or just aren't moving compared to these ones which have shifted. Yes. Wow. Yes. And uh, when you do uh, research into some of these stars, like just on Wikipedia, not even, you don't have to go very deep. And I got I, I to gotta decode the word Wikipedia for, for you. <laughs> Let's it, do it. In Twilight language, yeah, Twilight language for Wikipedia is... We keep idea. Um, we are the keep, the keepers of the ideas. Wow. So so when I quote Wikipedia, I always want to put a disclaimer where, you know, get your salt, get out your salt. And if you just do, you know, peripheral research on it, you know, like formal halt, I brought this image forward in my presentation. It, uh, it, when they look at it through a super telescope, it looks like the eye of Sauron. And when you look at it, it's very, I mean, it's like they took the image and superimposed it into the Lord of the Rings movie. Mm. It's really, really profound. So they are, they, they each, all of these stars, all of these signs, you know, they have a stories that are kind of baked into them. And those stories and the change of those stories from their old signs into these new signs can be tracked through through culture in mytho- our modern day mythology. And so, right now, so and so, one thing to point out is that it might be a wise thing to do to update the tarot. And the fact that we're using this the world card and the justice card with these four symbols in the corners that's that's the old dated sky clock Mm. and now these stars have shifted into these mutable positions which would be 
So instead of the bull, the lion, the eagle, and the angel, and the angel, yeah, instead of those four images, now the bull has shifted into Gemini, which would be like the twins. Mm-hmm. The lion has gone into Virgo. And Scorpio or the angel has gone into Sagittarius and the, uh, Aquarius has gone into Pisces. Wow. And so it might be, you know, it might behoove a lot of people who are into the tarot to get, to do an update and start, you know, getting some more accurate reads on things. Yeah. I don't want to give too much credit to the uh, creators of the Avengers, but do you think there's any part of the movies that may hint at that? And like, maybe they've have a secret tarot card deck again, don't want to give them too much credit, but maybe they are anticipating this and, and have encoded that into these movies where like, you can see how each court card kind of adjusts because, you know, like you said, if we're going to look at the 22 cards and this is me saying this not you but like you said to the point of how they've shifted the axial points of the zodiac have shifted well the other 12 are also in a different place now so that affects all the you know at least half of the court cards and the other 10 are connected to the planets which you know those aren't exactly uh ever you know constant because Pluto is not even considered a planet anymore. I mean, that if we're going to take the scientists' worldview uh, for five, ten seconds on the My Family Think Some Crazy podcast, <laughs> uh, seriously here, because we don't yeah. usually. It, it's yeah, it's crazy. I mean, so what? What do you think about that? Like, do you think that that has been layered in? I mean, you've analyzed these movies to a, a large degree, right? Yeah, yeah, I do think it. I do think it has been layered in, and. You know, they, they kind of put closure to the, to the, that 22 story arc with that end game, which ended on the world card, which is the last in the, in the sequence. So we started with Captain America, the full card, which is the beginning of the tarot. And it ended accurately and apropos to be on the world card, the 21st card at the end there. So they did kind of close off the old arc. And now everything after that end game is kind of a new beginning. And to some degree, you know, it's some of the old ways will be outdated. And, you know, they are building new storylines and new story arcs right now. But one thing, like you said, they saw this coming, right? They knew that this was, you know, they're the, they're the ones that I'm just intuiting these insights way behind schedule. You know, they were, they were on this decades ago, Stan Lee. And, you know, this was all put into writing a very long time ago, but I would just want to point something out that the final shift, and I go into this a little bit in my, in my YouTube channel, that final shift of Regulus going into Virgo in 2012, I correspond that very convincingly with the Smith-Munt Modernization Act. Wow. I love that you're bringing this up because it's definitely underappreciated for its significance. And I think it's very obvious that after President Obama's four years or eight years, 
there was uh, a clear difference in the media before and after. I mean, it, it's crazy. Yeah. And and people, for, for those who don't know, what, can you tell us what the Smith-Munt Act is exactly? Yeah, this is a really good implement for helping other people on the path of shifting their paradigm. Mm. And it is not, it's not hidden. It's not obscure. It's not secretive. It's in plain sight. I think it's called HR uh, House Resolution Bill 5736, which I could get into that numerology, but just if people want to look it up, that's what it is. And essentially, after we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima, they implemented the Smith-Munt Act. And at that point, it initiated a law that made it illegal to propagandize Americans, but perfectly legal to propagandize international interests. So we could lie to the world, to everybody else, but we couldn't lie to our own people. And in 2012, they did a modernization of that act and they, and they flipped the whole, the whole thing and they made it legal to propagandize domestically. And so now it's not only, it doesn't, it not only makes it legal, it has incentivized lying to the people, to the American populace. And so this kind of gets into it just a, I could try to be quick on this. People have to prove my words on their own. But with Hiroshima, the the spreading of the empire, think of propaganda as a weapon, is the guns. We were pointing propaganda weapons outward at the periphery, at the outer border of the greater expanding interests of America. And we were able to point it outward at everybody. And we use that to expand and expand like concentric circles going further and further out. And as we did that, we conquered these territories and we pissed these people off and we ripped off their parents and now their kids, the next generation hates America and they're pissed off at us. Well, guess what we did to the kids? We gave them jobs and we gave them, recruited them and gave them a position in our military bases overseas. And as that march got expanded bigger and bigger, 2012, they flipped those that entire dynamic. And now all those pissed off uh, second generation of the people that we stole the land from their families, we've now given them guns and we're going to turn the propaganda back in on America. And now they're marching in back in on us and they're going to blame the population. And so if you think about that in the context of what's happening right now with a lot of, you know, people thinking they had rights, people thinking that they could just quit their job and walk away, go, you know, live in the wilderness. Well, your job is going to be picked up by somebody who doesn't know shit about the constitution, shit about the history. And, uh, they're going to be pointing the propaganda at us domestically. Wow. And that connects right back to the alchemical process of inverting things. I mean, we're kind of, I'm using that in an armchair kind of way, but that like is a little bit of what I've deduced from reading the first couple chapters of Ross Ben's book. And Ross, if you're listening, I promise I will finish your book 
I don't make that <laughs> promise often, but I will read the rest of your book and Bruce Satoris too. I promise both of you, I will read your books and throw Mike Dank in the list too. I got to read his book and oh, and no, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, man, I, dude, I love where all of this has led us. I mean, the tarot card deck is just, I mean, people have drawn on it for the past 600 or so years since it's been around and, and all of those symbols go back even further in time. And who knows if, if there was some sort of system like this, that this is just a sort of a second edition of, you know, the whole tarot deck system might've come from something much older that's been lost in time. But you brought up something that I think is equally as significant and it fits into what we initially brought up with the whole autonomy sovereignty you know sovereignty issue with you know how they use word magic in there you mentioned this term twilight language can you break that down for us because you definitely i think you mentioned that in your email that we initially uh had with one another and i've been fascinated in that you know, ever since Chance told me about it, he's like, hey, you got to talk to my friend Slick about Twilight language. And, and I listened to a little bit of what you said on his show about it. So let's get into it. All right. Right on. So one thing I love about the Twilight language, it, it requires that one is multilingual for one. It, it, it's, it's in, it incentivizes being uh, polylingual. There's a great joke about what do you call it when a person knows two languages? They're bilingual. What do you call it when they know three languages? They're trilingual. What do you call it when somebody only knows one language? American. <laughs> and, and that's not necessarily true anymore. We are actually in a day and age where, you know, people are much more self-educated, self-taught, We've gone, you know, a lot of people have traveled and so a lot of people actually have some rudimentary grasp for other languages, but in, on the uh, writing table of the scribes of old, there would be three different dictionaries and one would be a Latin dictionary that could translate all words to Greek and Hebrew. Then the next book would be a Greek dictionary that can translate to Latin and Hebrew. And the third would be a Hebrew dictionary that can do Latin or Greek. And so the, that is the foundation of being a three wise man is having that, that tripartite lexicon okay. to, to go back and forth and weave in through all of those three languages and so twilight is that in-between space, that liminal space. And right now it's very, it's very profound. We're in this mutable age and it's, you know, and it is the day, you know, the times of revelation and the increasing of knowledge and the quickening is upon us. And so it is a beautiful thing that we are rediscovering the depth and of the meaning of our words in a, in a whole new light. And that is the twilight, you know, to see it in, to be remain, to remain in the in-between space where it means what we started with, but it also means this in Greek. And it also means this in Hebrew. And it also means this in, in Latin. And so, and then you can, and that's just not to be limiting, you know, we can even bring Arabic 
in Swahili, you know, all the languages of the world apply. And so when you find a word that just that hits, hits a chord, you could go in the dictionary and you could find definition number one through five and pick the one that you like the most, or you can go into other languages in their dictionaries and find those meanings. And, you know, we have these resources at hand now where you can get real deep on the etymology of all of the words. And doing so, it can just expand the mind and add richness to the, the magic of our words. Yeah, that's been my experience. I mean, a lot of times it's just connecting those kind of root words where you kind of get a hint to then go, oh, okay, this maybe is hinting at this. So let me look this up. And then you find a whole new set of information kind of interesting and related to what you were previously looking up. I mean, this is something that I love about Interverse and, you know, the work Michael Wan and Ross Ben, and I'm sure all the other folks you mentioned in your, in your own way affect your life in the same way where it's like, oh, okay, now I'm starting to crowdsource this information. And like you, you mentioned, we're not standing on the shoulders of giants anymore. We're standing shoulder to shoulder, maybe with giants. I mean, that's uh, yeah. definitely a topic for another podcast, Nephilim, giants, and all mm -hmm. that stuff. I just got a book about giants and I did an episode with my buddy, uh, Dave about titanium recently, and it kind of connects to like the Titans. It, that's why it was named that way. But it's interesting. The Titans were from Tartarus, which is, you know, maybe connected to Tartaria, who knows, but just, uh, yeah, a bunch of fodder for future conversations, but man, this has been a real fun time. You mentioned geomancy too. I got to ask yeah. you, what part of the globe, if you don't mind, are you from? And have you connected any of the geomantic values in your own backyard, the energy values and what the frequencies of them are? Yeah, buddy. Oh, man. Giving me goosebumps just with the question. So I have, funny enough, I have spent a great portion of my life on the 40th parallel. There it is. <laughs> yeah. And having uh, Ross Ben and Michael Wan, you know, put all of that significance into uh, their presentations on the 40th parallel, it just lit me up. It was just miraculous. You know, I went to Ball State University in Muncie, which was part of their presentation. And then I moved from Ball State on the 40th parallel directly west to Boulder, Colorado. And that is where Ball Space Aeronautics is now located, the same family. <laughs> and Ross Ben went to Boulder. And actually, I, I suspect he and I might have uh, passed each other in the airport that week. Because I was actually in transit. He did that, went to Boulder, did that show. Right on. Yeah. So I did. I lived in Boulder for probably the past 18 years of my life. And the guy, I watched it go through a significant change, mostly for the, not all for the good. Got to admit, it's not the town it used to be, but I missed down blocks. Oh, cool. Yeah. 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 I liked, I, I liked going, you know, it's funny, like how all these things connect. And I'm sure this is true for your experience too. Like, like you said, like you've been living and, and working and, and, you know, going to school on this 
40th parallel. And then another guy brings some light to, and illuminates this thing that you've experienced. Like the only time I've ever gone that far away from home was a road trip to Denver. And we went up to Boulder in one uh, part of this. So yeah, I've definitely experienced the 40th parallel energy there, man, for sure. Sweet. So I'll tell you, I'll try to keep this quick because I could just go on and on, but so I, the last place I lived was just kind of out in the, in the, in the plains, just removed enough from the front range there that I had the most gorgeous, gorgeous view of the, of the flat irons there on Boulder. And, and over time I got really deeply enlightened by the history of that, of that area. And I wish I could have been there when Ross Ben came into town because I could have taken him to some places and we could have been blowing each other's mind the whole the whole trip. It was it was amazing what he brought forward. But basically, so I lived in a very interesting spot where in my backyard there were miles and miles of mounds, burial mounds. And they are incredibly strategically located such that most people can live there like I did for 18 years and they don't see them until somebody like Ross Ben and Michael Wan start telling you what you're looking at. Right. And the, the, you know, the fact that all traffic goes in through us weaves through the country in a way that they'll never see these piles and piles of burial mounds. Wow. And it brings a lot of context to, you know, what colonialization was really all about. Now, when you, when you say mounds in new England, we have, uh, stone mounds and we have earth mounds. Are these stone mounds with like piles of stone or are they earth mounds? There seem to be earth mounds okay. for the most part. And, um, and I'll just, I. I'm really just going to skim the surface, but there is a famous myth and legend in Boulder. It is about the, what's called the curse of Chief Niawa. And Chief Niawa was the last sitting patriarch of the indigenous people of that territory. And he was betrayed in a very nefarious, classical, you know, colonials versus the indigenous folks kind of storyline. But he put a curse on the water. You, you want the land so badly, then by drinking water, the land will come to own you. Anybody who drinks the water in Boulder is cursed to always return and never be able to leave. And a lot of people will attest to the fact that there is something magical about the place that always draws them back. Well, I, I would have put it forward. There is an antidote. There is a cure. The, the rumor is that the cure to Niles Tours to eat some of the dirt. And if you eat some of the earth, you can bring Bolton with you. Every week, no, and you are free of and so just one last Are you kidding me? Oh, he's back. <laughs> oh man. I don't have time to disconnect. What is that? 
<laughs> so in that exact location, quick, before they cut us off, is a huge IBM plant. It's gigantic. And they have semi-truck trailers all lining up for acres and acres and acres at this IBM plant. But guess what? I never see any trucks coming or going. Mm. They're, they're moving in and out underground. Wow. And there's a lot to be said uh, about the fact that most of the unseen world in Colorado is happening underground. And it all goes back to dumps in a major way. There is so much underneath our feet in that area. So, so much. And that's all I got. That's all I can really say. I can attest to the fact that I have a brother who worked at the IBM. And he can't tell me. He actually, he's kind of, he's a little talking about those semi-trucks. There's so many of them, but you never see them affecting traffic in that remote location and it has to be and many people in the area will attest to the fact that they're coming and going you know they don't they don't want to deal with the traffic between the airport and you know in their their source so they have these direct routes that nobody is uh, privy to wow so we have to ask you one thing because you did cut out there at a really Really curious time. Uh, you said the only thing you can do to cure yourself from this chief's curse, and I uh, forgive me for not remembering his yep. name, but yep. can you remind us the chief's name and how to solve yes. the, the problem of being cursed by this? Yes. So the cure is the cure to Chief Niawat's curse Niawat. is to eat the dirt. Right. And by by eating the earth, you then are bringing a piece of boulder with you from then on to everywhere you go. And that is how you free yourself from the binding spell. Wow. Okay. I think we did get that the first time, but I just wanted to make sure there was nothing else to it. But yeah, weird time to to disconnect there. Either way. Wow. Gabriel, this has been a blast, my friend. We touched on so many different things and yeah, definitely an open invitation to come back soon because I think there's a lot more to break down and I'm definitely excited to dig into those videos where you break down the Avengers series. So please tell the folks where they can get in contact with you. If they have any info, they might want to share with you anything that resonated with them, some good praise or, or cheers. I know in this time doing this work, it's always nice to reach out and hear, you know, hear from people and, and hear that your work is resonating with people. And, and, you know, I know that it's going to resonate with my audience at least. So tell us where they can get in touch with you and, and follow up on those awesome videos, breaking down the Avengers with the court card tarot symbolism. And I'm sure there's more content than just that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again. So yeah, right now I'm just on the YouTube and my channel is slick dissident. And it is, it's a, a broad swath of subject matter. And at the moment, I'm small enough and I, you know, I dance around the trigger words just enough so that I don't get a lot of flack, but uh, people can reach out to me in the comments. And uh, because I am, you know, a real small operation right now, I'm 
really into and open to communication with anybody and even suggestions. You know, I've had a lot of real cool comments come my way that have kind of opened up a whole rabbit hole that I'm happy to dig in on. And, you know, I take requests basically. So, and, you know, I've even acquired a couple pen pals now. So, you know, reach out in the comments and I'll, I'll reach back real quick. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for joining me here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And be sure to have a wonderful day and a wonderful moment wherever you are in the now. Sign up on Patreon to get some of the video from this episode. We, we lost our Zoom recording, but the audio obviously was fine because you heard the whole episode up to here. So thank you for listening and have a good moment wherever you are in the now. Peace. All right. What a great conversation with Slick. Thank you for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, episode 102. Be sure to subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC. You can get bonus content there or on rockfin.com. And every episode is streamed live on Telegram. You can go on our Telegram in the episode description, sign up for the chats, sign up for the channels. All you have to do is click the link and you're in. Join, you become a member. It's that simple. If you don't have Telegram already, download it. And when I go live, I'll send a message out to the whole channel. People can listen in on the podcast while it's happening and if you have any questions that come up you can ask me or the guest any questions that come to mind live and we will answer them at the end of each episode so look forward to that as this starts happening more and more i expect to get more questions and maybe we can make a nice segment of it towards the end of the conversation uh, that's not the case for this one uh, so join on telegram patreon or Rockfin and support us with a one-time donation, support us with a monthly donation. It's up to you. This is a value for value podcast and I really could use the help. I just bought a new laptop so that I can do more, stream more and all the things, etc., etc. So follow us in all the places. Let's go people. We're past the big 100 and on to a thousand more.